Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools have been here for several decades now, and we intend to stay here for several decades more, God willing, so long as the public schools need battling for, and don't they need battling for? How often have they been let down by those who should have engaged in their support? But we are here and we are still here and we will still be here because we believe that public education should be public in ownership and control. It should also be accessible to all children. It should be public in purpose and outcome. And above all, it should be public in accountability. It should be publicly accountable. And this is why we oppose state aid to private religious schools. Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info and you can find quite a lot of information about us there and we have a press release almost every week and we're up to 8.06 and this is what we will be uh, giving you this afternoon. But as well as talking about the uh, Shepparton schools and the big mega schools in in the uh, offing by the Andrews government, we'll be going back to what we talked about last week, which is the capital grants to the private schools. And we will be giving you uh, an excerpt from the ABC in which you will hear how the private school uh, supporters really have got almost nothing to say in their support anymore. As well as that, we'll have a quick look at what's happening in TAFE, the mess, the absolute mess that the governments, the neoliberal governments of Australia, have made of our skilled industries, and uh, a little bit of news from America. But let's get on with the show, press release 806. Apply economic principles of scale to private schools rather than Shepparton public schools. The Victorian Labor government has announced that it will merge four secondary schools in Shepparton and Marupna into a new super school of about 3,000 students. The merger is being strongly resisted by the Stop Shepparton Super School Facebook group. A community meeting earlier this month called for an independent review of the decision. Many parents are concerned because the merger will restrict public school options in the area. This is community, local community battling for its schools. 
The Minister for Education, James Molino in Victoria, claims that the merger will boost student results and provide a broader curriculum. The proposal's website says that it will, quote, transform student outcomes. Yet two years after the plan was first mooted, the Minister has failed to provide any evidence for this claim. When faced with a direct request for this evidence at the recent community meeting in Shepparton, the government representative couldn't provide it. It reveals breathtaking arrogance and contempt of parents and students at the four schools who are having their lives upended by the transition arrangements. But there's a good reason for this failure to provide evidence because there is really very little evidence to support the claim that it will be better for the student outcomes. Trevor Cobald of Save Our Schools has listed the evidence against mega schools on their website, and he finds that the general consensus is in, in the evidence, in the research, that secondary schools should enrol between 400 and 1,000 students to provide the most effective learning opportunities. Certainly, it should be much less than the 3,000 proposed for the Shepparton Super School. Two of the schools in Shepparton are within the indicated range and a third has 1,123 students. And the fourth school is in the small town of Marupna and has just over 300 students. And it is the only secondary school in that town. Now, the dog's position on this is as follows. If the government is so concerned about student choices in curricular offerings and economics of scale, which appears to be behind this, because some of these schools are in fact on pretty valuable property, so one wonders about uh, whether or not uh, what kind of economics, real economics, is behind this move then why are efficiencies imposed upon the public system but ignored when it comes to the private system? Proper economic principles of scale, economic policy and accountability should be applied to the private rather than the public system. Public schools should offer opportunities to local communities, wherever they may be, not force long travelling distances upon children, because that's what's going to happen here. There's going to be a mega school in Shepparton, and all the children in the surrounding country towns will be forced to come to Shepparton. Long travelling distances, and the school is very often the hub of a local community, so they will be depriving places like Marutna uh, of that, that uh, very important resource. Yet in these latter days of privatisation, there's one rule for public, but quite another for the private sector. But the private sector has proved again and again that it cannot, will not and never shall educate all the children. As in the 19th century, so in the 20th and 21st, it has proved a failure. When will we ever learn? Especially in country areas, but also in urban areas, private schools duplicate, triplicate, etc., etc., public school facilities. Nothing appears to have changed since 1844 when a colonial select committee found that the denominational system, which is our private system, was a failure and recommended establishment of the Irish national system, this became our current public system. 
Our forefathers did something about it in the 19th century. They established our current public system open to all children and offensive to none. And in the second half of the 19th century, they abolished state aid to private religious schools and by 1911 had established public secondary schools. But now our politicians are marching us back into a divided education system and society like that of the 18th century. To prove the point, we quote from the 1844 Select Committee. The first great objection to the denominational system is its expense. I'm here quoting from the Select Committee, 1844. The first great objection to the denominational system is its expense. Here in Australia at the moment, it's costing us billions and billions and billions, 14 billion plus 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 is the latest figure. The number of schools in a given locality ought to depend on the number of children requiring instruction, which that locality contains. To admit any other principle is to depart from those maxims of wholesome economy upon which public money should always be administered. It appears to the committee impossible not to see that the very essence of a denominational system is to leave the majority uneducated in order thoroughly to imbue the minority with peculiar tenets. It is a system always tending to excess or defect, the natural result of which is that wherever one school is founded, two or three will arise, not because they are wanted, but because it is feared that proselytes will be made and thus a superfluous activity is produced in one place and a total stagnation in another. It is a system impossible to be carried out in a thinly inhabited country as many of its firmest advocates have admitted. And being exclusively in the hands of the clergy... It places the state in the awkward dilemma of either supplying money whose expenditure it is not permitted to regulate or of interfering between the clergy and their superiors to the manifest derangement of the whole ecclesiastical polity. And isn't that still the situation? As soon as the government tries to bring any kind of regulation into the private religious sector, we have an uproar and um, plenty of trouble, in the, unfortunately, in the corridors of power. So, look, um, we'll have a bit of a break after that uh, discussion of the Shepparton situation and how we are going back to the bad old days of the 18th century, a little bit of music, and then we'll come back to discuss the extraordinary state of educational funding in Australia.
Now, last week we had a very interesting press release which was based upon ABC research into capital funding of private and public schools throughout Australia, which is completely and utterly out of kilter and is not only a national disgrace, it's a scandal. Uh, And the question was also, how are the different organisations responding to this? Now, a bit later, in a few minutes, we will play how the ABC, the drum and its uh, participants responded to the news on the ABC research. But um, we have from Dale the response of Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools, which is particularly interesting. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got Trevor Cobald's article here entitled The Spending Arms Race Between the Elite Private Schools is Out of Control. The arms race in opulence and ostentation between elite private schools is out of control as revealed by a new ABC investigation. Australia's four richest schools spent more on new facilities than the poorest 1,800 schools combined between 2013 and 2017. Elite private schools spend millions and millions in competing over lavish facilities. This arms race is fuelled by big increases in government funding. The luxurious facilities of elite private schools are in a league of their own. Ultra-modern science centres, libraries, auditoriums, theatres with orchestra pits, multiple sporting ovals, indoor-sized Olympic swimming and diving pools, gymnasiums, tennis courts, wellness centres, equestrian centres, rowing tanks and boat sheds and underground car parks. What public school can afford a $29 million new library designed to resemble a Scottish baronial castle with castellations, a tower, a turret and a grand bay, and grand bay windows as planned for Scots College in Sydney, or the $47 million performing arts centre just opened by Knox Grammar. What public school can afford the two country lodges, a seafront school camp and other extensive luxurious facilities of Scotch College in Melbourne? or to establish a campus in China to provide a special program for its Year 9 students, as does Caulfield Grammar. The My School website website shows that Scots College outlaid $45.7 million in capital expenditure in the last three years. Knox Grammar outlaid $64.6 million, Scotch College $60.4 million, and Caulfield Grammar $87.7 million. No public school can compete with such spending sprees. There is a great divide in facilities between elite and even second and third tier private schools and public schools. At best, capital expenditure on public schools is confined to a base standard of facilities. For many, it's not even that, and they struggle with dilapidated buildings and playgrounds built 50 or more years ago. Many many public schools have to cope with stifling classroom heat in summer without air conditioning, worn-out carpets, run-down toilets, leaking roofs, damaged paintwork and rusting metalwork. The lavish facilities of elite private schools 
are not about school outcomes. They serve as status markers in marketing strategies to attract enrolments from rich families. It is a fierce competition in which no elite school can afford to fall behind. In this, they are heavily supported by government funding. The most recent figures available show that government funding increases have massively favoured private schools since 2009. While private schools are formally prohibited from using government recurrent funding for capital purposes, it fuels the rivalry because money is fungible. The big increases show the big increases allow private schools to reduce the proportion of income from fees and donations devoted to staffing and other recurrent costs and direct more of it to the arms race. Many openly admit this. The Herald Sun reported last year that one in five Victorian independent private schools admitted to using government funding to free up private income for capital works. The Chief Executive of Independent Schools Victoria said this is entirely unremarkable. Government. <laughs> now that's a really interesting statement. <laughs> entirely unremarkable. Yeah. What that there's a lack of accountability for public money. Yes, nothing to see here. Move <laughs> along. <laughs> I must remember that one. It's a beauty. <laughs> Government overfunding frees up millions in fees and donations from wealthy families to install more and more opulent facilities. Many elite private schools around Australia have been massively overfunded by governments for 20 years or more. For example, data released under Freedom of Information show that several elite Sydney private schools were overfunded by millions in 2018, including Loretto Kirribilli by $5.8 million, Mont Sant'Angelo Mercy by $5.6 million, St Augustine's, $4.7 million, Barker College, $2.9 million, and Sydney Grammar at $1.3 million. Many in other states are similarly overfunded. You never see um, public schools getting accidentally overfunded, do you? <laughs> A key problem is that there is no standard to ensure all children are educated in appropriate facilities. A national standard for recurrent resourcing of schools called the Schooling Resource Standard was introduced following the Gonski Report in 2011. The report also recommended the development of a national standard for school infrastructure for both public and private schools, but it was rejected by the Gillard government. Private schools get recurrent and capital funding from the Commonwealth, but public schools only get recurrent. The Gonski Report recommended that the capital grants program for private schools be extended to public schools. It said the Commonwealth should provide equivalent capital funding for public schools as for private schools, with adjustments for the larger enrolment share of public schools. It said that public schools need additional funding to bring their infrastructure up to a quality that enables them to effectively compete with private schools. This was also rejected by the Gillard government. The coalition government continues to increase capital funding of private schools. Department of Education figures supplied to Senate estimates in 2017 show that they will get $1.9 billion in capital funding from 2018 to 2027. There is no equivalent capital funding for public schools. 
Government funding for elite private schools is a waste of taxpayer funds. Their fees and donations alone far exceed the average income of public schools. Government funding just adds to their massive resource advantage and indirectly funds their gold-plated facilities. It denies much-needed resources for disadvantaged public schools facing severe shortages in teaching staff, educational materials and modern classroom buildings and equipment. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Dale. Uh, Trevor Cobalt always knocks a few nails on the head, although he's never prepared to go the whole hog and say that you shouldn't have any state aid for private schools at all. But all of these problems started once they went back to giving state aid to private schools in 1969, and this is the result. Dogs said it would be so, and unfortunately... They were correct. So let's see how the people on the drum, the ABC, responded to the ABC's research. Very interesting. You might note as you listen to this how the private school uh, supporters were gobsmacked. There really wasn't too much they could say. But over to the ABC and the drum. Now I want to talk about education today because of a a startling new report. Um, Look, some have the money to build concert halls, wellbeing spaces for yoga and on-site cafes with baristas. (laughs) Others wait 15 years to be able to afford a paint job, a new playground or basic maintenance. Now for the first time, the huge gap between the capital expenditure of Australia's wealthiest and poorest schools has been revealed. An ABC investigation based on my school data shows that between 2013 and 2017, four of the country's richer schools, Wesley College, Haleybury College and Caulfield Grammar in Melbourne, as well as Knox Grammar in Sydney, spent about $100 million each on new facilities and renovations. In contrast, 1,300 public schools spent less than $100,000 on buildings and maintenance. Now, part of the problem, say critics, is where the funding for capital works comes from. Private schools get money from both the Commonwealth and states, whereas public schools get funds only from state governments. So is our taxpayer dollar funding this huge discrepancy? Now, happily, we have a former education minister on the panel with us this evening, current head of of Gonski. This would have been something that you have had grappled with as a minister, particularly yeah. partly as your support for Gonski because you wanted to try to address some of those inequities. Yeah. Now, as we know, that, was, that ended up being problematic for a range of reasons. Yeah. So, so the Gonski reforms were all about recurrent spending um, or recurrent funding. Uh, he, David Gonski did make some recommendations about the Commonwealth dealing with capital, but mm. they were never really taken up. What were those recommendations? Oh, that, the, that the Commonwealth uh, needs to become more involved in the funding of capital across all schools. Mm. They're going to see public schools, but also low-fee Catholic and independent schools are not, not too different to, to most public schools. Mm. So there was an issue about how, um, how capital was, was allocated to school systems. But I mean, in, in your introduction there, um, are those schools that are spending um, tens of millions of dollars most of that is funded, pretty okay. much all of it is funded by parents. But so is the argument not that the capital funding, which has been increasing from the federal government over the past few years, frees them to do that fundraising? Well, most of that capital, and I, I would say the schools you've, you've named there, I, I could be corrected, mm-hmm. but 
probably none of those schools in those big capital projects would have received any government funding, any capital government capital funding mm. to do those projects. What what they do, I, I can only yeah. speak for New South Wales, yep. the, 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 the Association of Independent Schools and the Catholic Education Commission get the, get the capital from state and Commonwealth and then they allocate it amongst their schools based on the growth centres, um, uh, the SES of schools. So it tends to be that very wealthy schools or high fee schools uh, either get very little or get no government funding. So I, I'm of the view if parents want to fund concert halls with $30,000, $40,000 fees, mm. kind of good, good luck to them. But some would argue, and I think there's some, some sense to this, should they actually receive any government funding, even recurrent funding, mm. given that you can offset um, capital and recurrent, really, when you've got a budget as big as some of those schools, of course you can offset mm. some of you that with your fees. The capability of the donations. That, that, that's right. So um, you know, it took a long time even to get public schools tax-deductible tax status for, um, for capital donations to a school, for public schools. So right. that's the problem. Right. And I think that was my, my question, sorry, not re recurrent, not capital. Is it people saying, so in this, in this ABC report, um, University of Melbourne professor Barry McGaw says that this data shows how much schools are liberated to transfer to capital work. So that's the argument. Yeah, so, so some of those schools you mentioned have fees of about $35,000 a year. They probably get three or $4,000 per student in government funding. Now, that's $38,000 a year in, in just recurrent funding. Now, that, they can't use the, the government funds for capital, mm. but they just take off a chunk of the school fees and put it into capital. That, that's, it's as easy as that. Mm. So this is the argument as to whether those schools should receive uh, any government funding. I mean, for me, the question really then is... What, what those schools are able to do is choose their students. So the minute a kid mucks up, yep. they can be suspended or expelled. Right. And they don't uh, have to absorb they, growth either they, in they don't the school that, population. That's right. It's the ability of schools to select who their students are mm. creates the inequity in the Australian education system, mm. uh, which is, I think, one of the weaknesses, of our, the structural weaknesses of Australian uh, education. Mm. You know, I, there were certainly kids in the New South Wales education, public education system. I would have loved as minister. I would have paid the fees to send to some, some of these schools, whether it's thirty or $60,000 a year, because it costs a lot more than that to actually educate them in the public system, giving, given how complex their, their needs are. But, of course, you know, schools like that are never going to take students. Right. This, is the, this is the ability of schools to select who they take in is actually the structural weakness in Australia. Huh. Well, um, Diana, you know... I'm conscious that when we have these debates, we can, the people can often go, you know, they, they, it's often divided into public versus private, and that this, if we pull out pictures of, of swimming pools versus, you know, toilet blocks that needs to be fi need to be fixed. This is a very substantial um, analysis of the data that really does show us that this, this inequity is, is increasing in many ways. If we look at over the past decade, public funding to private schools has risen nearly twice as fast as public funding to public schools. Yeah, and so this is like from a perspective of myself and where I grew up in WA and I went to a public school, um, you know, state funded public school where you know it was a dilapidated very run-down public school in a very affluent suburb um, we would you know we had to sit an entrance exam to get into the academic talent program and you know the um, the track for the academic talent program was predominantly made up of people from migrant um, and so sometimes um, refugee backgrounds and so I just really want to focus back on like actually where we're going with the funding disparity and mm. how much inequity it actually does um, end up 
sort of um, creating in our society. It's, it's, so, it's so structural. Um, and as we know, you know, public schools are so heavily underfunded um, that I don't actually think that these private schools with their really big fees should be receiving Commonwealth and government funding. I think that, um, you know, the state schools are so underfunded and the programs that we have available to us and the disparity was so acute to me um, when I entered law school um, at the University of Western Australia and there was about maybe like five or maybe five to ten of us that were from the public state schooling system and I arrived in the first week and thought that I had missed an orientation or a camp <laughs> and it was actually because all of these students had come from these um, private schools and their backgrounds and you know we never had a barista on site or even like access to a swimming pool mm. or anything we were just happy that we didn't have to wear uniform because that was an added expense for my parents who they couldn't afford it at the time so I just really worried about this and, and the sort of society that we want to have in Australia and this growing disparity looking through the photos of the facilities that are being built and these million dollar facilities um, that I never had access to in my entire life um, and I'm constantly um, having to work so much harder to get ahead in life having to you know continue to pay my hex and I'm into my 30s now so I didn't have parents who could pay them up front um, and I just really worry about the growing disparity and I thank the, this report that has really elicited that information to the Australian public because the inequities are only going to grow and the disparities are only going to get larger and I worry about communities that are from disadvantaged backgrounds like myself, mm -hmm. migrants and others um, of refugee background and the like it becomes a very class system mm -hmm. and I just I have real serious concerns about that. Now, Paul, you um, straddle the systems in a sense. You've got a grandson in a public school, yet you're also a me member uh, involved with the Armadale School, which is a private school. Yep. How do you view uh, the, the challenges that this data poses? Well, I, I, I went to the Armadale School. I also went to a public primary school, so I've got a feeling for both. My father went to the Armadale School. My son went to Canberra Grammar, so mm -hmm. I've got sympathy for the private schools. But uh, uh, let's take a helicopter view of it. Uh, and Deanna hit the nail right on the head. What sort of a society do we want? Right. And the question, the, 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 what we see, what I see is a society in which inequality is increasing mm -hmm. and one of the key drivers of social mobility is quality education, starting right from early childhood education. So leaving aside whether it's the fault of the states or the Commonwealth or, or what have you... But are there structural problems? Well, Not just clearly, because you look at the outcome. Right, so and, what's the structural and so, problem? So the answer is to say, first of all, to say what kind of society we want. What, what is our expectation about what every single child in Australia would have access to? And that ought to be quality classrooms, quality teaching, full range of courses, sporting facilities, co-curricular stuff like drama. Every kid should have that. And what does it cost? So I'm not impressed by budget surpluses or tax cuts. I want to pay more taxes so that we can have the sort of society, we can say what does it cost to have this quality education system and how do we fund it? And Didn't we get, just go get through the... this with, with the Gonski debate? Yeah, and what happened? Well, exactly. So, so, but, but where are we If the outcomes are wrong, we've got to re-engineer it. The... We'll come back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aaron, where do I've you been involved in Commonwealth with... state negotiations. I know it's hard, but you, you've got to aim for the right so outcome. Far. Yes, Aaron. This is a really interesting debate that you're all having. I think that you're all asking some big sort of, you know, 
existential questions about our society and what kind of world we want to live in. On the other, other hand, debating this policy environment. Um, I've interacted with independent schools, with public schools and with Catholic schools throughout my life. Um, I attended all three and had very different experiences at all three of them. I've got a daughter in school as well, but won't reveal where she goes to school on national television. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say, though, is, you know, I get these schools, a lot of these schools that we... I, feel in a way of just sort of putting up as um, and attacking, you've got parents there paying $35,000 a year. And I know in my experience in, with schools in that kind of environment, two parents are working really hard to send their kids to that school. So I think that we should let them do that and make that choice. On the other hand, we should be looking at our society and saying, well, what, what, is, the, what is the base level? What is, what, is it, what, is it, what is it that we should pre be providing? Um, and that's where we differentiate from somewhere like the United States, for example. So I think that that's a really important question. And where does that money come from and how do we do it better? Um, is it the role of the state? Is it the role of the Commonwealth? Uh, and, and we should actually be having those conversations. And you're right, on Gonski, you know, Gonski 2.0, we were supposed to address this with that. Um, so I think that people should be able to make all kinds of choices about where they go to school. We yeah. should be aspirational. That's really, really important. Um, but we should have a base standard of what environment. And the other thing I just want to add here is with state, we can't just go state schools and independent schools because you have outer suburban independent schools that are being propped up by the church. You have inner city selective public schools where you have the best students who frequently rank yep. in the top one, two, three places in year 12 outcomes. So we can't actually just look at this as, as the two against each other and it's the perfect media story really. But, no, but, but, I think but that's it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry to interrupt but I think that's why we're mm. going beyond just a media story here because as I said we always look at you know the, the, the swimming pool against you know mm -hmm. um, the, the toilet block kind of scenario. Which isn't but helpful right? But yeah. No but data is and when we um, look at the fact that the past over the past decade public funding to private schools has risen nearly twice as fast as public funding to public schools. Yeah. I mean, if we ask the question about where we're going to be, sorry, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, just on that point, Julia, like I just think that um, it's a values thing for us as Australian, as Australian and what we want our society to be looking like. And if we want to genuinely be outcomes focused, um, and there is this growing disparity, as the data has so clearly shown us in this report. Um, you know, I think it's really important that if we are, if we want to be outcomes focused, and those schools and the, the two parents, ideally, that can, again, that's an underlying assumption that mm. even with, um, with two incomes, those parents can afford it. Both right. my parents worked and still couldn't afford right. it. Um, that it's really important that we actually look at it as a needs base. So, like, if those schools are building um, those those facilities and you know the, inc the outcomes aren't changing however many facilities or millions of dollars are being funded there then we actually have to um, fund some of the lower end of those schools I know, on and a I just, needs base. I, I really have to bring in Adrian back here at this point because we are talking about Gonski over here again. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. where does it leave us? Where are we so, left? So the funding, I think what the, the Gonski panel did it was a fantastic job. It mm -hmm. certainly improved the way we fund schools, much fairer. That base level, every student now is entitled to a base level and then there's loadings based on disadvantage. So it's improved, but yeah. it's not perfect. Yes. Um, there's been a couple of changes to it. 
but you know the, the, the non-government school lobby is, is very influential and some decisions were made 18 months ago that I was personally very critical of, mm -hmm. a special deal that was done for uh, particularly the Catholics that I think were, were inappropriate. I mean, the, the power of the Catholic Church is still very, very, very strong within, mm. within government at all, at all levels and all yep. political parties. Right, and you have been very vocal That's on that. Problem. You've got kids at a Catholic school. Yep. And so, yep. but, but one thing you've criticised is the lack of transparency when we know what happens with yep. capital works. Yep. And you said when you were minister, you would get one page for how many... So for about $800 million that we gave to the Catholic system, uh, we got a one-page document that said we, we promise we've spent the money correctly. Right. I mean, if you, if you get a $30,000 grant to spend some money at the local uh, scout hall, you've got to jump, get, get three quotes and jump through all kinds of hoops. There that isn't is very, enough very true. <laughs> there is not enough transparency around yeah. that. And not suggesting anybody's done anything, anything wrong, but I, I think the public deserves that, given yeah. the $800 yeah. million dollar contribution. Yeah. But the bigger issue here is, mm. what, societally, mm. we all have to, we have to, structurally it has to be a system where it's in everybody's interest that every school is great, because you know you have to send your kids yeah. to the local yeah. school. Rather than just why I only care about where my kid goes yeah. to school, yeah. Yeah. we've got to, you know, in, in Canada and Finland and other places in, in Europe where they've got very strong systems, that's the system. Everybody cares. The Prime Minister cares yeah. where their local, where, what his local school, his or her local school looks like. From every, everybody cares about where their local school. Here we have quite an power imbalance, and if you have a look at who's sending their kids to $35,000 a year schools, it tends to be influential folk. Um, not just, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know the influence on government and funding and the way that can be distorted is part of the structural problem we've got. If you're spending thirty-five thousand dollars a year to send your kids to a private school and it's got great facilities, I, I say in a sense, good luck to you because mm. that's what you're paying for, mm -hmm. right? People, people want to pay for that privately. That's that's fine, but look, we, we're getting better, but there's still a long way to go to get Australian education structurally at that point where I think as a society we all want to get to, where we all care about what the local school looks like. But let's say that a lot of us really do care about it, yeah. um, but you're saying these lobbies are too powerful to substantially shift Well, they are influential. Look, look at the by-elections a couple of years ago, in, I think it was in the seat of Batman. I mean, the Catholic Church got directly involved in campaigning there because this issue of funding was... Was, was, was very hot at the time. Minister Birmingham was the minister and he did a great job at resisting it, but he got changed and um, as a result they, they got a special deal. I mean, they, this is just a statement of fact, most of this right. is on the public mm -hmm. record, right? They are very influential and in quite an unfair uh, way. So will transparency and accountability help with that? I mean, there's, are there small fixes that can help with that? Yeah, look, I, I think so. And, I, and as a Catholic myself, for example, um, you know, there are, there are high SES Catholic schools that get more government funding than lower SES Catholic schools. Now, as, a, as Catholics, Catholics ought to be concerned about that mm. because of this kind of odd way that money gets distributed. Mm. Mm. At the end of the day, the, 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 the question, I mean, I agree with Adrian. If, parents, if, if wealthy parents want to spend a lot of money on facilities for their kids, that's fine. We're not trying to bring the top down. We're just saying every school should, should be at a certain standard. Mm. And the poorest kids should go to good schools. But then schools. there are also questions about choosing, um, choosing your, the students and whether you absorb any yeah, yeah, sure, population sure, and all those sure. kinds of things. Yeah, there was an independent school a few years ago. Um, six kids were found smoking marijuana behind the bike shed. They got, they got expelled. And my question was, well, where did they go? Right? It was a Christian school, as in a faith-based school. But it's, those kids became somebody else's. Right, we're going to have to end on that note. But thanks so much to Paul Barrett, Adrian Piccoli, Deanna Sayed, and Erin Watson Lynn. Now
Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not some words that is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, while we're talking about the capital grants and the situation in our public schools, the very interesting thing is that there has been a baby boom, a recent baby boom, and the enrolments are increasing but they are increasing mainly in public schools and there's the question as to whether or not the schools are there to uh, take them in and uh, the age had a very interesting article on tuesday august the 20th mega schools are bursting at the seams Uh, they don't need a mega school in in uh, shepparton they're going to need many mega schools actually they need to increase the schools that they've got and look after them. Uh, And uh, this uh, article says when it comes to the congestion around desks or in the school library, Canberra doesn't have much interest. When an audit of the nation's infrastructure shortcomings was released recently, the immediate focus was on the congested roads and the public transport systems. But Infrastructure Australia's report went much further than bitumen buses and trams. Some of the most concerning aspects were around our social infrastructure shortcomings. One of the most obvious, which most of our students and their parents comprehend, is the explosion of demountable classrooms around our schools. Now, these demountable classrooms were always supposed to be a stopgap measure. But I remember when I was working in the uh, public service back in the 1980s, how they were preparing to just have administration blocks and lots of demountables. Because I believe that even within the department, particularly with those who came from a private school background, they believed that the public system was going to die and a lot of these schools would in the end uh, be closed in favour of private schools or be sold off. But that hasn't happened, has it? Our public system, in spite of all the privatisation rhetoric, 
uh, is still there and it's still worth fighting for, but it's in demountables. There's supposed to be a short-term solution, not one that effectively sees a child through their entire primary and secondary education. But these demountables always have been, since the 1950s, driven by an explosion in school numbers that states hadn't planned for, driven by a lift in population overseen by the federal government. In terms of primary schools, this is being played out in more mega schools. And in 2007, the nation had 123 primary schools with 800 or more students. And last year, there were 291 of them. And the number of high schools throughout Australia with 1,200 or more students has grown to 286 from 191 over the same period. And this increases across the board, but we haven't heard a word about the huge number of demountables spotted across suburban Australia from our political leaders who seem to believe congestion can only be measured in kilometres and parking spots. The only point at which something was done was back in 2008 when Rudd decided that we had to uh, spend ourselves, good Keynesian Rudd, spend ourselves out of a very, very tricky 2008 financial situation, and we did. We survived 2008 because we had Keynesians in the Treasury and Rudd listened to them. But what did we spend it on? We spent it on, remember, the uh, schools. The private schools and the, um, the coalition government were up in arms about any potential scandal or problem uh, and they were minimal in relation to what's going on with our high-rise flats in Melbourne at the moment, but we actually got a bit of money into the capital expenditure of our public education. But uh, the federal government have not had any interest in this at all ever since. So this is a very interesting situation, isn't it? Particularly since we could well be coming into a full-blown financial crisis, uh, thanks to Mr Trump and a few other people, and um, we might need it once again. Given that the interest rates are almost nil, we might have to spend money again on our public schools. But that's enough on that issue. There's another scandal that is uh, bubbling away quite happily, I suppose, although it's not a happy situation in Canberra, and that's the TAFE scandal. According to a confidential report, we are also told by the Saturday paper, uh, and this was on August the 17th, and I can recommend the Saturday paper. It has some very, very interesting material in it, but... We are hearing only about this confidential report from the Saturday paper. Australia's largest private training college raked in hundreds of millions in public money before its collapse, despite abysmal completion rates. A senior figure in the sector fears it could happen again. Well, it could happen many times again. The uh, training college that collapsed was Careers Australia and it collapsed in May 2017 and it was the country's biggest private trading organisation. 
Along with its subsidiaries, the group had 19,000 students across hundreds of courses and 1,100 employees, but it was facing financial ruin, owing more than $150 million to creditors, including the Education Department, Westpac, NAB and the Australian Tax Office. Its administrators identified that there were more than 20,000 potential unsecured creditors affected, including students. Now, Careers Australia pulled the pin suddenly after the federal government refused to renew the organisation's authority to deliver courses citing its controversial record. And the announcement to students and staff came without warning. All classes were just cancelled indefinitely. And they had relied on the federal government for 90% of its revenue. This is what privatisation of public education entails. It entails there being nothing. So that was a baptism of fire for Craig Robertson, then just weeks into his job as head of TAFE Directors Australia, the peak body that represents TAFEs from every state and territory. TAFEs, um, this TAFE Directors Australia is a small organisation with a tiny staff and it took over responsibility for about 7,000 enrolments under the National Tuition Assurance Scheme. Robertson recalls how our phone offices went crazy, fielding calls from panicked teachers and students. Robertson thought that Careers Australia was fairly respectable because there's plenty of them, as we know, aren't. And it wasn't until we really looked at the data, he said, that we realised what was going on. He saw how Careers Australia had worked the government's loan scheme for vocational education to maximise profits. Why wouldn't they? Their private organisation. And according to a confidential internal report seen by the Saturday paper, Careers Australia received more than $578 million in Commonwealth money in four years by cutting corners on training quality and ultimately left thousands of students in limbo. Now, this VET fee help through which they got these millions of dollars was a vocational education equivalent of HEX loans. So there's a lot of students that have got HEX loans, which could be privatised. The uh, debt collecting of these HEX loans could be privatised. And um, it was first introduced by the coalition, but was overhauled and expanded by the Gillard government in 2012. And it introduced the demand-driven funding model. But it was scrapped finally at the end of December 2016 and was replaced by the VEC student loan scheme. But Robertson fears that the lessons of the VET fee help disaster have not been learnt because the industry compliance scandals are blamed on these rogue operators. There were 150 dodgy private colleges which have been shut down or kicked out of the system since a crackdown by the Australian Skills Quality Authority. But their misdeeds have tarnished the reputation of many high-quality niche colleges which had operated without issue for decades. But, of course, the real problem is that they have undermined the provision of state-run TAFE colleges. Now, the Prime Minister and people in Canberra are now 
shedding many crocodile tears about the lack of skilled labour in Australia. They've mucked it up. The sooner we go back to a public system of, of TAFE colleges, second to none, and some secondary schools too, technical schools, the better. But uh, I can recommend that article from the um, Saturday paper and I can recommend the Saturday paper for some very interesting uh, journalists. But our time is almost gone. Uh, I'd just like to say that Robert hopefully will be back next week and we'll have another great state school. But meanwhile, over in America, in Michigan, in an attempt to deal with the fear that some students have when they go to school, they are... And here's a commentary on the state of the society. There there is a school with a design of new sections which includes subtle, safe places that can be used to protect students in the event of a shooting and long, curved hallways that would offer protection too. To cut down on the sight lines if there is an active shooter in the buildings. And by reducing the sight lines, anyone with malicious intent would be unable to see the entire length of the hallway. And cement block bumps outs are also placed in the curved hallways. Well, at least here in Australia, we haven't quite reached this level of protection for our students. But then, of course, in some places, they are going to deprive, like Shepparton and Malutna, they're actually going to deprive our students of any classrooms at all. It's a very sad commentary on the society that we have inherited from uh, our Liberal and Labor governments and also, I might add, from uh, some of the state school supporters who sold out in the 70s and 80s and were never prepared, like the dogs, to say no state aid for private religious schools. But our time has gone. Uh, That is the end of the program for this week, but not the end of the dogs. We'll be back next week. And we thank you for uh, listening to us this week. But it's bye for now.
Says he. 